Testament book of Exodus, so I invite you to open your Bibles there to Exodus chapter 9. From chapter 7 through 11, we're looking at the plagues, these plagues that are written about uh, in the scripture, um, where Pharaoh is really delivering these blows or strikes. The word plague in Hebrew means strike or blow. So God is delivering these strikes against the gods of Egypt, that's primarily who they're, each one is, is designed to be against one of the gods, because Egypt had this interesting zoology, they, they worshipped animals, they, they worshipped animals, and I'm going to show you pictures of some of the gods, you know, that are historically uh, uh, seen in hieroglyphics or in, in uh, statuary or idols, I'm going to show you some of the gods tonight. Uh, just pictures of some of them tonight. But, but really, the focus is, is tonight in this chapter is interesting. We'll look at three more plagues, but we see God's purpose in the plagues. About halfway through the study, you're going to see that. God's going to give the reason for the plagues. He's going to tell Pharaoh why he's doing what he's doing, and it's good for us to understand that as well. But these plagues are so important that they're not only written about here in Exodus, but they're repeated in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, for those of you that understand or have read the New Testament several times, you, you, you hear Moses' name mentioned and the plagues mentioned over and over again. So these plagues are really important for us to know. God wants us to know about the plagues and why he struck against Pharaoh and against the gods or the pantheon of gods in Egypt. Uh, originally, as we began in chapter 7, um, it was it was actually it's, I think it's chapter five, where Pharaoh, as he's challenged by Moses, says, "What God? Why? There's no God bigger than me, greater than I, greater than the gods of Egypt. What what God are you talking about? Here's the verse here, Exodus five two. Who is the Lord? Pharaoh says that I should obey His voice and let Israel go. I I, I don't answer to any God." A, a, bad plan on his behalf because God is showing him who he is with all his sovereignty and all his power. That's really what the plagues show us, that God is in control. He is sovereign. And it was very, very uh, interesting that Pharaoh should ask uh, uh, Moses who this God was. And God is showing him that he is greater than any of the deities in Egypt. So that's really the focus as we look at the plagues. But tonight we get God's purpose for the plagues. Before we read chapter 9, let's ask God's blessing in a word of prayer. Father, how grateful we are for a place to come and worship you. As we sang that song, how great thou art. That really is our heart's joy, Lord, to sing your praise. Thank you, Lord, for a place to come to worship you, a place to come and study your word. As we settle in tonight, Lord, I pray that we would hear your word, that we would receive your word that we would apply the written word. Even these Old Testament passage have things for us to learn. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus tonight. Amen. The, the important thing to remember here, Yahweh, the Lord. You'll see the Lord over and over in English here in your Bible. That's Yahweh. God is showing Pharaoh that he is in charge, and he is challenging the false gods in Egypt, Pharaoh had oppressed God's people. They number in, in the millions right now. A couple million people are going to be 
taking this journey in Exodus. They're going to exit Egypt because God loves his people. And God has demanded that Pharaoh let his people go that they might come and serve me. He's demanded that. He's commanded that of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's like, what? What God? I'm not going to listen to you. I, I don't answer to anybody, anyone. Again, he's learning as God strikes out against him. We saw the first four plagues. We're going to look at three more tonight. But the first four plagues, again, this first one was against the river where God turned the Nile into blood. And it's the God Osiris. Osiris is the God. Here's a picture. And, you know, you, it looks Egyptian, doesn't it? You know, you know the whole Egyptian thing. I mean, the, the head, the, the hair. And you'll see this theme. And I've actually been to the British Museum. I've seen some of these things. I think I've seen that. And these are, are, are things that were uh, produced. I'm going to show you uh, Luxor, the palace, the temple of Luxor in, in Egypt tonight. I'm going to show you that picture in a little bit. Not right now, but in a little bit. And these places are real. They're archaeological places, geographical places. This happened. There's historical evidence for all of these things. And here I'm just showing you these gods. This is Osiris. And he was believed to be the god of the earth. And it was believed that his, his uh, uh, blood was really the Nile River. He, the Nile represented life to the Egyptians. They worshipped this god, Osiris. The second strike was the plague of frogs, the plague of frogs. And that was a strike against the Egyptian goddess Hecate. Here's Hecate there. Notice how she looks a little bit like a what? Look at what she looks like. Looks like a frog. This is just one, one sandstone image. There are many, many, many. You can go and Google that if you want Hecate, and you'll find a bunch of different images with this female uh, a body with his frog head. That's the goddess Hecate. And um, the frogs that were uh, inflicted as a plague on the land of Egypt, remember, they were everywhere. They were in houses. They were in closets. They were in the food pantries of all the Egyptians. As God brings this strike against Egypt, it was frogs. And the, the big problem, in, in these, you, you've got to see the... the uh, uh, God's smiling. I see him smiling, if not laughing at the people. Because these people worshipped frogs. Hack it. And so God multiplies these frogs so much they're everywhere. They're, these people are hating frogs, but they can't touch them. Why? They're sacred frogs. You don't kill a frog. You don't step on a frog in Egypt. You worship frogs. And so now they got frogs coming out of their, their flower bins and their kitchens. And they're everywhere, these frogs. And they last for about a week. The plagues don't really last for a long time. They come when Moses holds his staff, raises his hand, prays them in, and then they leave when Moses prays them away. They only last for a short time. The frogs were about a week long. Moses prayed them, and they all died. They died where they were. They died in houses. They died under the bed. They died in the bed. They died. So people scraped them out of their houses, pushed them into their streets, and they end up these big piles of dead frogs. How do you think that smelled? There are millions and millions of frogs all over Egypt. Just the stench was, the Bible says, they stank the land. The third plague was that of gnats. Some believe they were ticks or lice or mites because they were on the dust of the ground. And like the ground was moving with all these little creatures, insects. The plague of gnats, that was a, a strike against the Egyptian god Geb. 
Geb. Here's Geb here with a little ibis on his head. Um, again, looks Egyptian, doesn't it? Uh, this comes from a, a picture from some, uh, inside of a tomb. And so you had Geb. And, and Geb, supposedly Geb's laughter was what brought earthquakes. And, and then he, he, he was the one that blessed the crops to grow. That was the Egyptians. They worshipped Geb. And this strike against the gnats or against Geb was, was the gnats and the mites and all those things. The dust of the land became lice. Kind of creepy when you think about it. Chapter 8 ended with a fourth plague. And that was the strike of the swarm of flies or mosquitoes. With the exception that no flies were in the land of Goshen. Who were the people in Goshen? Remember? The Israelites, the Israel, that was where Joseph's family was. They, they were all in, there were only 70 that began. Remember, 70 that came into Egypt, and now there's 2 million, three, uh, about three, 400 years, 430 years, 400 years. The Bible has a couple different inferences of how many years. Not a discrepancy, just a different view of when they came and left. But about 400 years, they, they multiplied into about 200 or, or 2 million people. But the swarm of flies were there. And the plague was against the Egyptian god uh, Ra or Amu-Ra or Kepir. This is Kepir. Now, notice his head, his face. What's that look like? A beetle or a scarab. You've heard of the scarab. Golden scarabs. They're found everywhere in Egypt in the tomb. These, they worship beetles. They worship frogs. These people worshiped all these animals. And so... This plague was against, many believe that this plague of swarm of flies would have been beetles. You know, I used to, when I was little, we, you know those big green beetles that you see sometimes? I tie a string on it and fly. Do you ever do that? Am I the only one that, see, some of you guys, some of the guys did that. See, they're shaking their head. And you, you tie a little string thread, real small thread. It's really fun. And you fly them around. You got to let them go. But this is a beetle, and, and this beetle god um, was the, this was the strike against the beetle god. Again, you see God smiling. Okay, you worship the beetle god, I'm going to give you beetles. You worship the frog god, I'm going to give you frogs. He was showing them that he had power and authority. And these plagues were devastating. They weren't just for fun. They were devastating these people uh, in this land. Now, this next image here, this is the temple of Luxor. You can go to Thebes, Egypt right now and visit this. I don't have any plans. I've never been to Egypt. I like to go there. I think that'd be fascinating to go there and read the Old Testament and go through. You can go there now. This is the temple there um, in Egypt, and that's where their god Kepper was. Again, that that and this time in Egypt was like 1400 BC. We're talking old. When you go to the Middle East or to Egypt, this is where everything began, and you'll see these things that are that are definitely old. Now, all the plagues, they were meant to reveal different things to the Pharaoh and to the people. They were strikes against the gods of Egypt, but every time God plagued these people, he was revealing who he is. He's in control. He's doing everything. And one of my favorite quotes, I used to put it on my email, was from C.S. Lewis, and I, I like this thought. It kind of goes along with this. He says, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling darkness on the wall of his cell. I've always loved that quote. The, the Egyptians were trying to 
erase God by all of these other gods. And that's what Satan does. He, he brings different gods and goddesses and tries to get you to worship things and money and stuff in your job. He tries to get you to get your focus on other things, even now in your lifetime, rather than, than God. And I love C.S. Lewis' quote. Again, it's, it's hard to mask God. You, you can't mask God. He's, he's bright. He's glorious. He's wonderful. The Egyptians tried to get rid of him. They tried to worship these other gods. Now, we come to the fifth plague tonight in chapter 9. And we begin in these first seven verses with the plague of murian or cattle, this, this disease of the cattle, the fifth plague or cattle. Notice verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord or Yahweh, and then this other title, we haven't seen this yet, notice, God of the Hebrews. Let my people go that they may serve me. So he said that every time, right? That's the theme. And this is the first time since the first plague that God has used this title, God of the Hebrews, in the plague here. So this is significant. And again, I believe God is saying, uh, Pharaoh, since you, I'm just reminding you, since you said you didn't know who I was, you didn't know the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. I'm just reminding you, this is the God of the Hebrews. I'm the one that, that has, is laying these plagues or strikes against you and against your God. And uh, I'm their God, the people in Goshen. I, they're my people. I love them. I'm going to care for them. He's reminding Pharaoh again in this way. And, and then Moses is told to repeat the reason that God wants his people, he, he says, because I, I want to redeem my people. I want to save my people. I want to deliver my people so they can serve me. The word serve in the Hebrew, worship. I want them to worship me. I want them to be mine. And God was claiming his people there. And notice in verse 2, though, that God threatens this judgment against the livestock. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, on the sheep. A very severe deber, deber in the Hebrew, destroying, or pestilence is the way it's transcribed in your Bible. A destroying. I'm going to destroy these animals, livestock. Now, again, another strike against another Egyptian god. This time, it's Apis, Apis is the bull that was worshipped. They worshipped a bull god. This is one idol here that they found years ago. You can find, again, this bull god inscribed on the sides of the interior of, of, of the tombs in Egypt. But mummified bulls were found buried with kings. I mean, they worship bulls. They worship cattle. And so, again, God is striking against these people that, that they're bull cults. They love bulls. They, they worship bulls in Egypt. There's a lot written about that. One commentator wrote about an Egyptian battle. This was a, a, a historian of Egypt. When the land or the people of Egypt were in a battle. Their enemy put a herd of cattle in front of the advancing troops. And the Egyptian soldiers in that garrison lost the battle because they were not going to kill a sacred cow. 
These people worshiped animals, and God, again, is striking against their false god. And it's Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews here. Uh, he lets himself be known. and he, He's going to dominate. He's going to conquer these gods and this bull god, Apis, here. Again, a little twist, a little jest, you know, toward the gods of Egypt and these animals that they worship. God uses a sick cow in this case. He, they, they love their cows, but he uses, he's going to kill their cows. Actually, they're, they're going to get sick and die. Now, this is another interesting thing about this plague because this is the second time that God separates the plague. In other words, the plague does not, it doesn't involve the Hebrews and Goshen. It only involves the Egyptians and their livestock. Very interesting how that works out. Verse 4, the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. So again, God is showing, he's proving to Pharaoh that he's in charge. He'll kill and who he will and he, he saves who he will. That's, this is God. He's sovereign and he wants, to, he wants Pharaoh to know that he is entirely in control and that these calamities, these strikes that are very dramatic, and they're growing in intensity, by the way. I hope you notice that. You'll see that tonight as we look at these three. But God is in charge. He does as he chooses. And again, that's the great lesson of the plagues. That's one of the things we're supposed to learn and remember as a Christian. As we read in the New Testament of the plagues, what were they for? They, that God is in control over the king of Egypt. And he proved it. And all the gods of Egypt, he proved it with these strikes, these individual strikes against their gods. Verse 5, then the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day. And all the livestock of Egypt died. But the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. So there you have it, one day. I mean, it wasn't like these animals were were uh, starving, and then it took weeks or months for them to die. They died that very next day. They were warned, and then they died, except for the cattle and the livestock in Goshen, where the uh, uh, Hebrews were. Um, in verse 7, Pharaoh, uh, again, he wants to know if that really happened. He wants to know if the Israelites' cows lived through the whole thing. Notice verse 7, then Pharaoh sent... And indeed, not one of the livestock of the Israelites had died. But even with all of that, the warning and, the, and, and God's sovereign work, and the, the, these cows died here, but not the ones in Goshen. Notice, the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. His heart reflects his choice which was his stubbornness. I'm not going to let him go. I don't care what happens to my people, to anybody. I am not going to acknowledge this God. I am more powerful. I am greater. And as he himself here, his heart became hard. He's hardening his own heart again, and he did not let the people go. He refused to obey God. And it's his refusal that brings judgment on the people. All the cattle in Egypt died because of his choice there. And that all changes with the sixth plague. Notice the sixth plague here in verse 8. It's boils. Boils. Boy, this one's nasty. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from the furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. So he was, some of these times, remember he would go down the water and meet with Pharaoh. Some of the judgments happened without Pharaoh knowing. Here, God wants Pharaoh to see this. So they get some ashes from the fire and he goes in front of Pharaoh and he throws the ashes in the air. And there's some significance to that, but it's interesting. Let Moses scatter to the heavens, Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven. And they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. This, you'll notice this one is going to happen really without warning. In other words, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It happens when they throw the ashes. So they go to Pharaoh. He throws the ashes in the air. Um, there's a lot of, there was a lot of commentary about the ashes and how the people were making bricks. You know, they, they were oppressed, the Israelites, and they would have had dirt and mud all over them. And so here's the ashes now are thrown, in the, and the ashes go out like a big dust bowl, and they end up causing sores all over the people's flesh there uh, as they throw the ashes in the air. But on man and on beast. But God doesn't give Pharaoh advanced notice here. He just, it just happens right away. And as we move into these, these um, uh, more advanced plagues, it just becomes more and more painful for the people. You know, frogs, you know, they cleaned out their pantries. The blood in the Nile went away in a week. The fish came back, you know. But now it's going to affect the people, Pharaoh and all the people. And they're much more dangerous in, in, in that. So they, they affect man and beast is the point here. Uh, this is a strike against the priests or the magicians there in Egypt as well. The ones who were administering all the religious activity for the bulls and the frogs and all these different things. These magicians were active. Remember, they were active in each one, duplicating each one of the miracles at the very beginning um, to the you know, behest of, of Pharaoh, like, please, you got to make more frogs or please, you got to make more blood for the river. Um, but now they're being attacked with these boils that would come upon them as well. And God, again, he doesn't warn Pharaoh about this plague. At the end of verse 8, again, Moses is just commanded to do it. And when he does it, there's this miracle that happens again, and it affects all the people. The, the word boil in the Hebrew means to burn. You have to keep that in mind. I mean, I, I had a boil when I was really young. I, I haven't had one. I don't think we have a lot of those now. You may have had one. They're very painful. I had one. It was painful. It was right here on my forehead. It was really awful. And uh, I remember my pastor, I, was, I think I was like 16. Could have been like a huge zit, you know, and... It was, it was really painful. I remember going, my pastor, I, I remember I walked into the church and he was greeting people, Reverend Rushford. He, he was old too. He was like 60. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember Reverend Rushford said, good morning, Lee. And he reached out and he goes, and he, I remember he goes, oh, you have an infection. You know, because I had this big old, you know, because when you're a teenager, you get those things. But I, boils are very, very painful, right? And, and this 
word here means to burn. The idea is that these people are covered with these swelling, itchy, oozing sores that, that were on not only people but on animals as well. Remember the story of Job? Remember Job? When I, when I was reading this today, I just thought about Job. It was Satan that wanted to attack Job. And he goes to heaven and he says, you know, the only reason Job's nice is because you just treat him really good. If you let me at him, he, he's going to hate you. And uh, really, it was God's idea. God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? He's upright. And he's... So God allows Satan to, to bring this plague, in a sense, on his body. He gets these uh, sores on his body as well, boils. Here's the verse here, Job 2. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with the painful boils. And, and on Job, they were from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He was just in... Remember, he's sitting down scraping the boils out with a, with a clay pot. Just a nasty picture, the, these boils. Here in Exodus chapter 9, God is attacking the households here of Egypt and all the people. The judgment's very extreme because it's, it's everybody's going to get boils and, and the animals as well. But notice here in verse 11. That it's, it's really against the magicians, the priests of Egypt. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. What did the magicians do? They were priests. They would, they would bring in the different rituals and worship the bull and the frog and the gnat or whatever it was. But they can't even lead worship now because they're covered in this. They're hurting. They're aching. They have these boils all over them. They couldn't stand before Moses, because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and all the Egyptians. So there's an idol. Here's the next idol here. It's Emhotep, Emhotep, or however you pronounce it, it's Emhotep, um, represented this healing power of the Egyptian magicians. They, they, they would pray to this image here and ask for this healing power that they believe came from this false God. So God strikes against the healing power of this medicine God that they have, Yahweh. Again, proves his power over the magicians, over their, their God, by, by uh, inflicting this boil this, on the magicians, on all the people, all the Egyptians here. Um, I read a lot about this plague, and there's a lot of uh, assumption and, and, and thought, and maybe it could be this or that. We really don't know what this was, apart from it being boils. But the priests and the magicians in Pharaoh's court were covered in them. And they couldn't do their priestly or temple duties. And they had to be spotless in order to do that. So they can't serve anybody. And that was really God's um, defeating the magicians. See, this is God's total defeat of these magicians. They used to hang out and do the same miracle. He, they would emulate Moses, but they can't because they're covered now with all these boils. And in verse 12 here, the Lord is going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Notice, but the Lord now hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh didn't listen just as the Lord had told Moses way back in chapter 5 and 6. So you're going to go there. Moses, oh, I don't really want to go there. Well, you're going to go there. This is going to happen. I don't want to go there. You're going to go there, but he's not going to accept your ministry. 
oh, really, I don't want to go there. I know I'm not a man of eloquence. Speech, you remember the whole dialogue. He didn't want to go. And God chose him to go, sends him there specifically to do this ministry and told him that Pharaoh was not going to, it's going to take more than one and two and five plagues. It's just going to go on and on. You get ready for this, Moses. He's, he's going to harden his heart because I want to display my power to all the world. And God wanted this record so that we'd all know it. And it repeated, like I said, in the Old and the New Testament. God wants us to know this. God wants us to know that he's sovereign. God wants us to know that he's in control and that he's powerful. Um, God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart, remember, that's not, God changing Pharaoh's mind. God's, all God is doing is, is adding to what Pharaoh had already decided. I don't recognize you, God. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Don't tell me what to do. I am my own. And God is going to show him. And so how is he going to show him? Pharaoh hardens his heart toward God over and over. And then sometimes God hardens Pharaoh's heart because he has another plague. He has another lesson that he's teaching. He wants all of Egypt to recognize that he's sovereign and that he's in control here. So God just strengthens what Pharaoh had already chosen to do. And we've seen that in chapters 7 and 8. And Pharaoh has hardened his heart. I could have thrown the verses at you. It's not important. But in those two chapters, he hardens his own heart over and over again. And God just gives him over to his wicked desire. That's what God hardening his heart is all about. The Apostle Paul talks about that when you read Romans chapter 1. And Paul repeats a phrase in Romans chapter 1, and it's this. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. You remember the downward spiral of of man in Romans chapter 1. You should read that. Their hearts were hard. They've already rejected God, so God gives them over to what their choice was over and over. They become self-destructive, just like Pharaoh. Now, verse 13, we come to the seventh plague. And here is where we're going to kind of divert for just a moment because here's where I get the title of of my message tonight. This, This is God's purpose. Here's God's purpose for the plagues here. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews. There's that title again. Let my people go that they may serve me. So here's the main reason. Here's the purpose. And there's four of them I'm going to give you. But here's the main reason. It's the redemption of his people. That theme runs through the whole Bible. It's all about redemption. God redeeming you and me. Even today. God God did all of the work to redeem you. To purchase you back. You have to believe. Repent and believe. That was Jesus' gospel message in the New Testament. It's the same here. God loves his people. He wants to redeem his people. They couldn't redeem themselves. They're captive. They're oppressed in Egypt. So God intervenes through Moses. And God's going to redeem his people. But that's the purpose for the plagues. God wants to redeem his people. Let my people go that they may serve me. I love the fact that he says, my people. He knows them. He claims them. Aren't you glad? I'm so thankful that God knew me and he claimed me before I knew him. There's so much truth to election and God's choice. He's sovereign and he chooses. And we look back and say, boy, what a dope I was. 
And oh God, we're so grateful that you redeemed us. We're so grateful that you, you led us and you called us and you worked in our lives. We're seeing that. He loves his people. And so his, his purpose for the plagues, number one, the redemption of his people. Number two, second reason, is to reveal his sovereignty. He's going to reveal his sovereignty through the plagues. Look at verse 14. For at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand, verse 15, and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But I, I'm gracious and merciful. I don't do that. I want you to know that I'm a merciful God, that I'm a long-suffering God, that I'm sovereign in everything that I do. God wanted Pharaoh to know that God alone, Yahweh, was in control. He is sovereign in all that he does. And that if Pharaoh... If, if Pharaoh thought that he could accomplish anything in his resistance against God, that he was completely wrong, utterly wrong. That he, that's what he's going to learn. The hardening of his heart is going to teach him this, that every time he thought he was in control or he was God or he had magicians or he had an answer to one of the plagues, he didn't. That he wasn't in charge. That God alone is in charge. That God alone is sovereign. Truth is, all Pharaoh's stubborn rebellion just glorified the Lord. Every time he was rebellious against God, God just proved that he was in control. And Pharaoh's heart got harder. He, he chose to harden his heart, and then God hardened his heart because God was going to continue these plagues so that he could show that he was in charge, that he was completely sovereign. The third purpose for the plagues, verse 16, and I'm made the point to display his power. But indeed, verse 16, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. That's the record, the Ten Commandments. Uh, everyone has heard of the Ten Commandments. Um, maybe not the movie, but, but heard of the Ten Commandments. We're living in a society that's more and more biblically illiterate, way more than, I think, my generation. Uh, the Bible's been so cast out and, and forgotten and pushed aside that we do live in a society that's really biblically illiterate. But many people know about Ten Commandments and many people know about, about the plagues of Egypt. Again, God is showing his power. He wants his name to be declared, like he says there in verse 16. In all the earth, verse 17, as yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. So God is using the hard heart of Pharaoh to display his miracles. That's how they're getting out there. If, if God, God could have at any time just went, eh, snuffed him out, done with Pharaoh. But God is using Pharaoh. And he's using his choice, his heart, and he's making it harder because he's displaying that he is sovereign. He's displaying his power through all these plagues that we're looking at. God's name will be declared in all the earth. He's powerful. He's sovereign. And the fourth purpose here, verse 18, is to display his grace. This is, all, this is fundamental whenever you read the Bible. The same God in, that we know in Jesus Christ is full of grace and love and mercy. Same God here. Even displaying these incredible judgments against these people 
we see the grace of God. Look at verse 18. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down. So see how we're accelerating. These, these judgments are getting much more severe. Such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home. And they're going to die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee the house or to the house. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field and they suffered the judgment. Now here's the grace of God on display. Number one, God gives the Egyptians time to repent. It's going to happen tomorrow. So you, you've got time to think about it. You've got time to figure this out. Blood, the, everything turned to blood. We had frogs everywhere, gnats, flies. I mean, this, this has been an epic month. We think, you know, we get a couple of days of rain and a few houses get washed away. And oh, I mean, think about these plagues in Egypt. They all happen in a very, very short, compressed amount of time. It wasn't years or season. This is just a few weeks that these things are happening in. And as they happened to them, these people had to be thinking, and now he's giving them a chance. God is showing he's gracious, he's long-suffering, he's merciful. And you see this in God all through the Bible. That's what I love about my God. That's, this is my God that we're talking about here. Because he's so merciful and long. Aren't you glad he's long-suffering? Aren't you glad he was long-suffering in your life? And he showed you mercy. When you should have deserved that, man, you should have gotten that full punishment. But God showed you mercy. I love that about God. He shows mercy and he shows grace. And he displays his grace by forewarning the people of the plague of hail here and the judgment against them. His heart of compassion, his concern for, for people, the beasts of the field and the people. He's concerned about all of them. Bring, bring in your animals because they're going to die of hail, this hailstorm. You bring in the people. Don't let them stay out there in the, the field. That's the God that I know. Justice, mercy, commingled. God is a God. He's just and righteous. That's why there's judgment. But he's also merciful. He's also loving and gracious. So we see that, his compassion, his grace uh, to the people here. So on one hand, the plagues reveal God's long-suffering because he gives them forewarning. He, he allows them an opportunity. On the other hand, he displays complete control and he's sovereign. In every one of these plagues, there's no doubt in anybody's mind, God is powerful, God is moving. He's proving to Pharaoh that he's not like any other god, any of these animal gods or idols of Egypt. The seventh plague, now we go back to the plagues here. The seventh plague is, is hail. So the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt. And it's going to happen. It's going to fall on man, on beast. And it's going to happen and fall on the herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. So there's fire intermingled in this. Interesting. And the Lord rained hail 
on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail. So very heavy that there was none like it in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So here's the plague. Now, these other plagues kind of came from the land. This plague comes from heaven. This comes from God. So now these people, they're looking around at all these plagues. Now they're looking up. They're looking up, and they know that this plague comes from, from God, comes from the sky. I'm sure it frightened these people. But now they know that God is pouring out his judgment through this event. Look at verse 25. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field. I say herb, but herb of the field, and broke every tree of the field. So the struck, here it is, nakha in the Hebrew. Struck is a violent striking of all of these animals and trees and bushes and plants and even the grass. Nothing lives through the, the hail as it comes down. Everything was destroyed, but God's judgment, judgment here on the people, it was really against Pharaoh and the hardness of his heart. It's Pharaoh's fault that this is happening in the land of Egypt and to all the Egyptians. Again, verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And that it's a miracle. How did that happen? God like put these perimeters all around where his people were and the hail right outside the, you know, don't go over there two feet because you'll die, but, but here it's safe. God protected his people. Again, it's a, this is a miracle. This is not just a natural occurrence. Some people try to, liberals try to explain away these things as, oh, it's just natural, you know. Frogs die and the flies come, you know, it's natural. Not the kind of plagues that we're seeing here. They started when Moses prayed. They end when Moses prayed. They're miraculous. They have perimeters or boundaries to them like this one here. And this one was devastating. Again, God is in control of the plague. God limits the plague. God, he's, he's doing what he's, and he divinely spares his own people. Again, because he's chosen them. He loves them. And, and by the way, this plague, remember I'm doing, I'm trying to compare the gods here for you. I'm, I probably won't do this again. So you get to see these pictures and you can look at them again if you want to do that. Somebody said they looked at some of the pictures, um, uh, Googled them. But this is the goddess, the sky goddess. They, they worshiped the sky goddess. And this was the sky goddess N-U-T. I don't know if you pronounce it newt or nut. But you see that within this body here, it's, this is a woman's body and the stars there. So they would look up in the sky and they, they arrange the ast astrological stars in the image. This is the sky goddess and they would worship the sky goddess in the stars. But she was uh, known as Nut. And so this was a uh, assault or God's challenge against the sky goddess Nut here. Now, again, this plague brings... Pharaoh to his knees. Well, almost to his knees because my next point here in verse 27, we have Pharaoh's false repentance here. Notice verse 27. Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. Yahweh, he actually uses Yahweh as righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail. So he's afraid. 
He's running scared here. He says, for, for it's enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. You can go. You can take all your people. I promise you can leave. You know, I, 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 we can't handle this anymore. It sounds like he's really sorry, right? But Pharaoh is just like someone that gets caught stealing in a store. They're, they, they don't have a sense of guilt for their sin. They just are sorry because they got busted. That's it. He's just sorry because he got caught. He's not sorry because there's a consequence to his sin. He's not really repentant at all. And notice Moses says here in verse 29, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord and thunder will cease. So he hears Moses say what he says. I don't think Moses believes him. In fact, he doesn't. We'll see that in just a, a moment here. So he, he says, I'll go out and pray for you, pray that, that it'll stop again. Um, he says that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But, verse 30, as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. I know this is just a show that you're just, you just want to get out of trouble, out of jail free here. You're, you're not really repentant at all. So Moses doesn't believe him. But he grants his request, and he prays to the Lord to stop the plague. So again, see, it's limited. It's a very short time. This isn't days. It could have been just the afternoon. But it killed, you know, all the, the, the animals that were outside and the people that were, were outside. Verse 31. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head of the flax was in bud. So that kind of gives you the season of the year. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses, verse 33, went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hand to the Lord. Then the thunder of the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart. And all the people around him, all the servants. Whew, boy, I'm glad that's gone. I mean, they're not repentant. They're sorry they got busted for a moment, but they're not repentant at all. Verse 35, so the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord has spoken. He's a liar, isn't he? He, he, he makes a promise and he goes back. He's a liar. So again, hardening the heart or rejecting God. When God shows his grace, it just reveals who this man is, Pharaoh. Again, God is giving us this record so that we'll know that, we'll understand that. His failure to repent, his lies to Moses. Oh, I'll, I've been hey, I've been good. I, I, I won't, I'll, I'll let the people go. A liar. He just wanted the, the plague to stop. Even though God has graciously given them time, God has proven his grace and his mercy throughout these plagues. And I, I hope you get that. I hope you see that tonight. God is a gracious God. He's merciful. But Pharaoh, he's a scoundrel, and his heart is getting harder and harder. Next week, we'll get the rest of the plagues, and uh, we'll get through these. I, again, I think they're fascinating in the, the assault against the gods of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight, and Lord, there's so many things that could be said. I, I just pray that, that the text would speak for itself, that your people would receive your word. Lord, that, that we would understand 
the, the importance of these plagues and how they prove your power, your sovereignty. But mostly, Lord, we see your display of your grace and your long-suffering, your kindness, not only to, to men, but, but to animals, your care for your creation. So, Lord, as we study these, as we come back again next week, as we study through this, Lord, may we grow and may we learn. May we understand, Lord, that you are truly sovereign. May we really grasp and understand your grace. May we be thankful and worship you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you for the word, Lord. I thank you for these people that have come to study. Lord, just increase our wisdom. Help us, Lord, to be people that choose to follow and choose to obey your word. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand.